Consider the following, and some of the results you will hardly believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Living Full Kombucha podcast, a podcast that, as I deem, my verbal journal, as I discuss my journey from a former public school teacher to inclusive kombucha taproom owner and employer. My name is Lydia. Hello. I'm so glad that you're here. And I am the owner of Living Full Kombucha. I am just over a year in and currently sharing space with a beer brewery as I learn the craft of kombucha and I scale, selling at farmer's markets and retail shops here in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where I'm located, with the goal to open a kombucha taproom that celebrates neurodiversity in the brewing space, where we want to provide a unique training and workplace for adults with disabilities to promote inclusion and independence. It's just me right now and often my supportive partner, Sean, but we are so encouraged with the rate that which we are growing and we know that it will just be a short matter of time before we can hire a team to join us. So this podcast gives me an outlet to discuss my thoughts and frustrations in a pretty candid way, as well as evidence to myself of what I have navigated when I'm feeling like I can't do it anymore on my off days, but it's also a place to celebrate and connect with fellow brewers and entrepreneurs alike. I'd love to meet you and I invite you to send me a message telling me more about who you are and if I can help in any way, I I definitely would love to. I say help loosely as this is truly a come with me type of podcast. But if what I am sharing can help you in any way or my road bumps I often share help you, I am all for it. But I am definitely not the kombucha master as I feel like I am a true baby in this business. But I felt led to share on this platform and I'm really glad that the universe brought us together and that you're listening in today. Speaking of listening in, on this podcast hosting site, I have a corny advertisement about at the beginning of each episode, Anchor. It shows me where you all are listening from and okay, hot dog. It's pretty amazing to see listeners from several countries all over the world. Although I'd like to, I haven't really traveled in my life. I've only been outside of the United States once. I can probably count the amount of times I've been on a plane, I think three. (laughs) But having people reach out from around the world makes me feel just a little closer to there and it really gives me an idea of what it may be like. So I wanted to say a big hello and a shout out to Tomas from Romania who is beginning to bottle and share his kombucha with his community. Congratulations and it was really a pleasure talking with you. We, We chatted over email and so neat that this platform brought us together. So cheers to you, Tomas. Alrighty, before I jump in, we are going to be chatting farmer's markets today, but I'm eager to share what I am sipping on. I either will share another kombucha or a fermented beverage someone has shared with me, or I will share something that I'm working on. And today I'm eager to share that I am sipping on my newest shrub flavor, mango cardamom. I mentioned in a previous episode that with farmer's markets coming up, I wanted to bring some new flavors of both kombucha and shrubs, and I'm going to begin doing rotating flavors where I rotate new seasonal flavors, if you will, three to four times a year. I understand that mangoes are not local to the Midwest in any way. However, their peak season for ripeness is that May through September time, and the mangoes that I have have been frozen at peak freshness back last fall, and they are delicious. And okay, paired with the cardamom, which to be real, I did not know existed until recently, (laughs) but a cardamom is a pod in the ginger family, which really gives an herbal warmth. And it's described to have a cross between a eucalyptus, mint, and pepper feel. And I feel like when you pair it with the mango, 
it becomes more citrus, like minty, and it's just really refreshing and sparkling water, which I am having right now. Like all my other flavors, I do have a test group, which really are just fancy ways of saying I coerce my family and friends to try new things for me and give me honest feedback. And with editing some ratios, I think that this is going to be a really big hit. And okay, just for fun, <laughs> the mango pairings that did not work, because I, I really wanted to do mango, but the ones that did not work, you may have nailed it, but I definitely did not. But I tried mango chili flakes, way too hot, really hot. Mango banana pepper, ew, just no. And I tried mango goldenberry, which okay, was not bad, but it was a little too mild and too expensive to tell what was actually in it. So I crushed the cardamom and I cubed the mango and bam, mango cardamom shrub. I cannot wait to debut this next week, which this is a great transition to today's topic on farmer's markets because freaking next week already is outdoor market season. I think I have danced around my house several times in anticipation for this because indoor season was rough. Midwest brewers, you will understand this best, but when there is not so pleasant weather, <clears throat> snow, lots of snow, <laughs> people stay in and they do not come out. I've already dedicated an entire episode to this titled Winter Sales if you want to check it out, but when it's even 50 degrees, a little tint of sunshine, boy, do my Midwest people come out. We got our flip-flops on. I say we because that's me too. <laughs> we are waving to everybody. People talk to one another at the grocery stores. It's an electric buzz that is hard to describe. But that's all to say that we are ready, or somewhat ready. I wanted to take the rest of today's episode to chat about farmer's markets and how that looks for me. And I thought I'd break that down a little bit more and talk about the supplies that I bring to farmer's market. How much product do I take along? How the heck do we fit in a vehicle? Or do we even use a vehicle? How do we set up our space? And lastly, my farmer's market spiel that I give to customers. <laughs> I felt like this episode, aside from me getting jacked for it, describing it here, may also help those of you who are venturing into the space in your business. I often will chat with listeners at the beginning of their brewing journey and entering that time in which you're really ready to showcase your product, almost a proof of concept, if you will, for many people, including myself, and farmers markets really are the perfect place to get to know your community and share it at. As I already stated, I am speaking from my own experiences and farmers markets may look differently depending on where you're located and it might even has its own like set of rules and regulations. But to give you an overview of what I currently do for markets, last year I did one main market and this year we are going to do two main markets. I have spoken in previous episodes how I took on way more than I could handle up front. And I will reshare again that if you are just starting off, you've never done a market season before, start small. Not knowing your community and the demand of that particular product, take it from me who took on three markets right away, ran out at the very first market with nothing to show for the other two. It's a great start to do one market and do that one market really well. Plus, it gives you more time to focus your energy on making sure that that one market is especially great. But more on that to come in a bit. My main market is Saturday markets in the community that I envision us opening a tap room in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Whereas my other market, which is new this year, super pumped about it, is Thursday evenings, but it's within the same county that I serve. 
I offer delivery to all of Kenosha County and this market is actually closer to my home. So I thought it would be a really good one to check out. But for you, as I mentioned, I chose a market in a community that I want to open a tap room. So does the location you are looking at align with your business goals? Or does this market have any information on market size? Like how much foot traffic is it going to bring in? And lastly, I would just ask myself if I was looking at a new market, does this market have any other vendors like me? (laughs) Any other kombucha vendors? Oftentimes markets will have non-competes. So if you sell kombucha and you are admitted, other vendors with a similar product are not admitted. And hopefully that works in your favor. You're not trying to get into a market where you're not admitted because there's someone else doing that in your space. But for the most part, I have yet to deal with that. So I've been really fortunate. So starting off getting ready to enter into a market, I didn't realize how much money it was going to cost up front. I mean, logistically, it makes sense that the amount of space that that market is using, they probably have to pay for that land. And so you are asked to pay for a booth fee. And that ranges on when that market is, how often it is, how often you might come. The one that I participated in last year was offering a booth fee of $23 a week. And that was actually extremely low. That was half the price of what it would have been in other other years simply because of COVID and just trying to help all local vendors come back because a lot of them were impacted by COVID. I started my business in the midst of COVID and so I wasn't actually making money throughout that um, but I know that did impact a lot of vendors nearby me and my fellow neighbors at markets. So my entry fee was $23 a week which it worked really well for me because coming in and not knowing that I was going to have to pay money up front, I had like a $700 bill that was supposed to span for all of the weekends from May through October that I needed to foot before selling the product. And quite honestly, I footed that bill with personal funds from my own personal bank account versus my business because I was just doing very minimal sales from local deliveries at the time, but I didn't have enough to pay for that. So just be thinking about paying for something in advance. And often you will have to know the dates that you are going to be signed up for months in advance. And for the particular market that I'm a part of, they do not offer reimbursements. And so I had to look at my calendar in February of this year and give dates from May through October. And that was a little tricky because living in a different state than my family, we have a once a year family reunion. My brother and sister-in-law are having their first baby and I'm just trying to figure out, okay, if I am going to take any time away, I need to figure that out really, really far in advance. Next, I had to gather my supplies to participate. And each market is very unique and some are pretty particular about equipment that you use. For example, the main market that I participate in on Saturdays has a requirement of a white tent when we're outside. You cannot use any color because they want them to all be uniform. But what I wanted to do was give a basic, like a bare basic supply list that I'm going to circle back and give more details on. I'm just going to kind of rapid fire what the basics are for a market. So one, table, two, tablecloths, signs, something to hold your money like cash register or an envelope POS system, a tent, weights for your tent, storage for your product or your coolers for us kombucha people, uh, ways for people to sample, and of course the product itself. So I'll circle back and kind of give a little bit more explanation to each of these things and what has specifically worked for me, including the specific products that I bought, and I'm going to link all of those in my show notes. 
For tables, I bought two tables and I've seen many people do just one and that's totally fine. But the setup that I had was like an L shape and I bought two six foot tables that I got from Walmart and I do not know the price. I believe that they were $60 each, but I went ahead and got two fold up tables and you wanna make sure that these tables are fold up, especially if you have a more confined vehicle space that you need to fit into two tablecloths now being in the midwest or really anywhere you're going to have different types of weather including wind and when i used to be a customer at farmers markets and i did a lot of research prior to becoming a vendor i would just walk around different farmers markets and look at different people's setups which i'd highly recommend if you have the opportunity to do but I always found it kind of funny to see different vendors that had a tablecloth that would just be flying everywhere in the wind. And I felt like it prohibited people from wanting to come up to their table because it just looked like everything was flying around. So I ended up getting tablecloths that will secure under the feet of the tables and they actually like hook onto the bottoms. And so the wind will not blow anything away of this tablecloth. So if you wanna check out what I got there, I have linked those in the show notes. Moving right along, signage. This is a huge one. This is your very first impression that you are making on potential customers. Not only do you want to look appealing, you want to make sense in what you are selling so that the person coming up knows what to expect. (laughs) And my brother went to school for advertising and he gave me a really cool lens to look at this through and he really helped me even design the signs themselves. But he told me basically the way in which people absentmindedly read through or interpret a sign. You don't want to have too many things and pictures where they can't read it it's almost like their eyes bounce left to right left to right top to bottom and so you want to make sure that that sign states who you are if possible tell a little bit about your story or your mission and be very clear about your product we bring three different signs every weekend to a market One is the backdrop in a sense. And so it says living full kombucha really big. And you can go back to my Instagram and see that. And that has more pictures on it, but it shows the products very clearly. And then it has our name very clearly. So when people are just walking by, they can see the name. And then we have one in the very front that's attached to one of those six foot tables. And it talks about the products a little bit more and where we are located. And then that third sign is a very large chalkboard that I can edit anytime that I'd like. And I write down specials for that day or different flavors that we have. And I can angle this chalkboard sign out in a way that it gets people's attention. For the two printed banners, we went to bannersonthecheap.com and I'm just going to let that speak for itself. It's what I needed. It's what I could afford. And it also weathers weather (laughs) really well. It's waterproof and it's really easy to roll up and put away at a market. So that was really great. Additionally, you want to think about how you are even going to set up those signs For example, we didn't really think about that. And so when we got to the market, we kind of had to create like a pulley system, use some bungee cords, but be thinking about how are you actually going to set up those signs and how are they gonna stay put if it's windy or raining and then it won't fall down. Something to hold your cash, like a cash register or an envelope. And you wanna make sure that you also bring enough cash in your register to give back as change. I recommend if you're going to something that's gonna be about four to five hours, if you're looking at 20s, 10s, 5s, and 1s, I recommend bringing about 60 to $80 in 20s and as close to $100 bills in each 
category, tens, fives, and ones. And I know that sounds a little aggressive. And I understand at the beginning of your business, something like having almost $400 in your cash registers, it's going to be pretty tricky to have. And I, I very much understand that. I do think that it really does help with the flow of the day because you're not going to have to ever run out of money or have to go to an ATM. And also, if you're doing a cash-only type of system, this is definitely important for you, I feel, just because you will always have change, especially people come up to markets, they'll go to the first ATM, they'll get $100 bills out, and they'll expect you to break it. You can always refuse people to break $100 bills. That's not your thing that you have to do, but it is nice to be able to do that, and it does help make a sale sometime. So again, personal preference, but... Another option is having a POS system. I mentioned that I do have an iPad that's solely for business purposes. I know many vendors that use their own personal cell phone and they get Square, for example, which that is actually what I use as my POS. It's very convenient. I can update my inventory in real time. I feel like it has a really easy user interface. Like I can interchange the buttons really easily. I can add discounts when I want, which is really convenient. Um, but another thing that I really like is I decided to go ahead and get the card reader. And it's like a little square box. If you look it up on Amazon, I believe at the time I purchased it last year, it was about $40. But what I didn't know with that is, is that it actually comes with a swiper as well. Like if you need to swipe a card for free, so you don't have to purchase them separately. So I thought that was really, really nice because what I'll do is we will have that square reader out and 99% of the time that works great because someone will come up and they have contactless payment, they have Apple Pay, um, or they have the chip reader and they put it in, boom, it's done. However, there are a couple of times where the chip reader will not work, they don't have Apple Pay and it asks you to swipe it. And so having that swipe option is really great. And in addition, if you ever split up and you need to go to another market and you don't want to purchase a whole nother POS system, What's really nice is that I will give the iPad to Sean, for example, and he will run his thing while I will be at another market at the same time using the swipe system. And it collects payments the exact same way. There are transaction fees for every single credit card transaction, which I know totally blows. I very, very much understand that. I feel that really deep. But at the same time, uh, it really does bring customers up. And if you can offer that, personally, I think it has helped my sales because some of my products do add up pretty quickly if they're getting a six pack and then they're like, oh, what's a shrub? I mean, they brought $10 with them, but they ended up spending 50. They're like, oh, do you mind if I use a card? No, totally fine because at the end of the day, I am making more than I would have if they could only use cash. But again, that is totally your personal personal preference and that's just what I use and it's worked really well for me. Okay, halfway through this list, let's talk about that tent. Oh boy, these tents are a hoot. For the record, I don't think anybody is meant to set up a tent by themselves. <laughs> oh, fellow vendors, you will totally understand this, but seeing people solo put up a tent is humorous in itself. Now, I have done it several times. I really have. And it's not the end of the world, but... <laughs> <laughs> just it's like a whole dance it really is and it's so much easier if you have one more set of hands to like pull apart all of the bars and set it up and get everything just right but I did a ton of research online I wanted a very user-friendly tent and I found one that 
Oh my goodness. I feel so fortunate that I came across it because it is so user friendly and it really is designed for one person to set up because it doesn't have any of these little pins that you have to put in. It clicks into place. And what's nice is that it actually came with the weights, which is one other thing that you will definitely have to have is something to secure each side of your tent down. And so it came with the weights and it also came with a very convenient carrying bag with wheels on it. So being someone that is a little bit smaller and someone that has never done this before, I was looking for the most user-friendly tent and I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. I've gone through an entire season. It's gone through several storms and has held up great. So check it out. All right, we're towards the tail end of this list, but the next thing is storage for your products. Mainly, you know what I'm talking about? Coolers. Now, I decided to bring my bottles full and I know other brewers that bring empty bottles to market and they bring it in boxes totally your preference but I like to bring it cold I put it on ice I'll get to ice in a second but I bought as large of a cooler as I could possibly find and I bought the Coleman 100 core extreme (laughs) five I feel like that should be a hair gel or something but they had wheels on them it's huge it could actually fit me inside of it but really nice and I bought two of those And then obviously to keep everything cold, you want to have ice. And I did not really consider how much this is going to cost me every single week. And this is really going to be a reoccurring cost for you unless you're in a space that has an ice maker that you can utilize, which now I am. I'm really fortunate that I'm in a brewery that they allow me to use their ice. But when I was in my old commercial kitchen space and I was gearing up for a market, I had to go to the gas station every single week and I needed to get between three to five large bags of ice. And those all range in prices from, you know, four to six dollars a piece. So I was roughly spending, I'm guessing maybe in your area as well, usually between 30 to almost $50 on a really hot day worth of ice. So just be prepared for that reoccurring cost, as well as the weight that it's going to add. I did not, I've said this so many times on the podcast, but I did not realize how big muscles I was going to get doing this career. (laughs) Think about it. I have 12 ounce bottles. I'm just about to talk here in a little bit of how many bottles I put into the cooler, but let's just say that I fill up that thing all the way with bottles. Then I fill it up with ice. Then I have to lift it into a car. I cannot lift this by myself, nor can my husband or really any single person can. It really is a two person job. And at that point, it still is really tricky to even roll it around. So I would ask you as you are setting up, how heavy is everything going to get? And if it is going to be you rocking the market, just you singly, can you move everything by yourself? Because I certainly could not without the help of somebody else. And there are so many people at markets that usually can help you. And everyone is just like a warm family there, honestly. All the markets that I've been a part of, everyone is so kind. But just something else to keep in mind. Next up is ways for you to sample your product. So for me and my market, there are different protocols for samples. I feel like at every market, especially with COVID and and protocols and things like that, I was only allowed to offer samples in sealed disposable containers, which is heartbreaking because I was initially thinking of stainless steel that I can reuse and wash again. But They have not changed that. I still have to go into this year's market doing the disposable. And with something like kombucha, it really does take a taste of it, especially to so many newcomers in my area to this product that I definitely want to have samples of it. And so I went ahead and purchased, and I I have a subscription through Amazon that sends me disposable one ounce cups and they don't spill, but I, I put them in a little cooler off to the side that are strictly for samples. 
And second to last are a few miscellaneous things that I feel like I always take with me every single week, but that is basically waterproofing anything that you bring. So I put my props, I put my holders, I put some of my signs, like little baby signs on my table in a container that if it were to rain, I can just put it in that plastic container and I could run off with it really fast. Another thing is like an umbrella, rain boots. I also bring pens, scissors, things like that. And on really hot days, I will bring a water cooler that we can pour water from. And because if I ever bring tap to a market, I do technically in my area, I have to provide a hand washing station. So I bring a bucket that the water can drain into and some soap, paper towels, and a water cooler that has warm water in there. And lastly, what you definitely want to bring with you is the product itself. And really, how are you going to offer your product to go? So this is kind of like a two-part. So obviously, you want to bring your kombucha. And with me, I bring the shrubs as well. But when people buy it and they say, hey, I want to buy two, three, four, or five bottles, do you have a holder to put them in or do you have a bag? Have you thought about how you're going to give them an option to transport that product. And so for me, I offer both four packs and six packs for the kombucha. These four six pack holders, they are 100% recyclable. They're made out of cardboard. They are from Good Start Packaging. Again, I will link those in the show notes. And they are meant to hold things that have moisture, not soaked, because obviously we know cardboard, it would just totally rip, but they are supposed to hold liquids and things like that. So if they are a little bit damp, the bottles are damp, um, it's not going to ruin the holder. And I will encourage customers to recycle the bottles and holders back to me which is really nice to be able to use those again if they are just purchasing one or even two bottles I do have paper bags that I will give them in and I have stamped the front of each of them I got a stamp that I got off of Etsy with my logo which has been really cool and of course if they want to drink it then and there I offer to open it for them because mine are pop top bottle caps and so I have to have a bottle opener that was the one thing I forgot to bring (laughs) for my first farmer's market But hey, I'll open it for them and they're good to go. So I know after sharing all of that, I understand that there is a lot of money needing to be spent for all of the setup. And of course, it is your personal choice on what you decide to do and buy. But for me, I decided to research and pick some newer things rather than used. And you know your girl is always looking for a deal on secondhand. But knowing that I would be using this equipment several times per week each week and it would have to go through all of the elements so things like the tent tables etc I spent a little bit more money on and in addition I got this advice from Pete with Harvest Roots Ferments in Alabama I did a consultation with him oh my goodness highly recommend but he said to invest more at the beginning phases into making your farmer's market look its absolute best compared to building upon your wholesale accounts because this is where you're really putting down some serious roots. You're getting to know people's families, your face is in front of everybody and where you're gonna have the biggest return for your product. So for me, that was a great sign that I had, which I already talked about, or signs I should say, a tap system, which I'm going to get to in a little bit and props and displays that would draw people in. 
for my props, I put empty bottles out in four and six pack holders. So it showed them that I offer them in different sizes, but it was also appealing to look at. And there is like, I don't know where this is. I, I saw and read something like there's research that there was like a farmer's market science experiment that showed that people buy more things when they are at different heights. And so I put my kombucha bottles on a large wooden box and it brings it to a more, I guess, pleasing view. And then my absolute favorite thing, <laughs> this is so cool. My absolute favorite thing that I bring every week, and they really are the stars of the show each week, are fake ice cubes. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of people or kids rather that come up and they want to ask if they are real is a crazy amount. Uh, it's hilarious. I set them up to look like a cocktail in a glass with a cocktail shaker that I got from Goodwill and people come up asking me all the time about them and I jokingly will say, well, now that you're here, try out my products. And I did have one problem. One day though, a kid actually ran up to my table, popped it in his mouth and ran away. I ran up to him as fast as I could with my like teacher harsh voice. I was like, spit it out. <laughs> and I told his mom who was so grateful. Like at first she was like, why are you yelling at my kid? But didn't want him to choke on something, obviously. But that's all to say that props do matter and along with your signs, it really gives an impression on your business. So have fun with it. Think of something that's so unique for your business and your setup. I can't wait to see it. Alrighty, so let's talk about how much product that I bring. Of course, this is going to widely range for every single person, but as I mentioned on the podcast before, I wish that there was a podcast like this before I headed into farmer's markets so that I could listen and kind of compare and make a more educated guess before jumping into the deep end without a life jacket. So use this as a reference and compare to what you currently make and realistically could bring and afford. So at the beginning of last summer, I was brewing 40 gallons. I had three flagship flavors of kombucha and I had two flavors of shrubs to try out. And we packed the heck out of the two coolers that I mentioned earlier and that only had kombucha in it. I didn't have the license stating that I could deem my shrubs as shelf stable yet. So my shrubs were also in a cooler that was a little bit smaller on ice as well. And we brought 40 of each flavor of kombucha. So 40 times three is 120. And I also brought 20 bottles of shrubs. And of those 100 bottle, uh, I'm sorry, of those 120 bottles of kombucha, I took one of each flavor and I opened those up for samples only. We poured samples, like I mentioned, into one ounce plastic containers with lids as per COVID. Um, and we put those samples in another mini cooler. As the summer progressed and my demand for the product went up, I was running out of products, honestly, within a few hours. I bought more fermenters, which allowed me to brew more. But because of the limited space in my vehicle and really the sheer heaviness of the coolers like we chatted about, we continued to bring the same amount of kombucha all summer long, but we offered one to two flavors on tap. Now, before I get into tap, briefly, I wanted to touch on the vehicles for the market. I definitely do not have the money currently for a trailer or like a sprinter van or anything like that. Although that is the goal one day. That'd be so dope. But my personal vehicle is a sports utility SUV. It's a Jeep. I love it. And it's barely fitting everything. One piece of advice that I would recommend to everyone is doing a dry run of what loading and unloading your vehicle will look like. It's a skillful game. And for us to take the one vehicle, we had to pack and unpack very strategically. There are people who take two vehicles to a market, but then you're running into limited space and you have to feel rushed to unload because everybody is there at the same time. 
over the summer, we did acquire my in-laws old Yukon SUV, which is roughly, I think, five feet longer than my Jeep, which tremendously helped our market trips. But we are wanting to bring more this year and our dry run, (laughs) we're doing it still, is scheduled for early next week. We're cutting it close, but we got a lot to bring, like our tap system. Did you see how I connected that? Yes. We bought a tap system. Now for reference, last year, before I share with you our new system, what we did was we brought one keg and we would hook it up to CO2, which we got a 10 pound CO2 tank that was easy to transport. And where I'm from, it costs about $100 for an unfilled CO2 tank. And then you would have to get it filled on your own. And I would go to a liquor store nearby, for example, that has a CO2, large CO2 tank. They fill it for me. And it was about 30 to $40 to do that. And so I would bring that um, as well as a way to keep the keg cold. And I got something that was almost like a keg koozie. I'm going to link it in the show notes super nice but I was able to put the keg inside and it's a five gallon Cornelius keg and it fit right in there and I dispensed the kombucha through a typical dispenser um I don't even know the proper word for it but it's probably something you could find alongside a corny keg online but we dispensed the kombucha into compostable 12 ounce cups and I will again link the cups that I got as well as the lids. I got the lids that are sippers, not the ones with straws. So it's like one less thing and a little bit less plastic. Um, so we did that. And like I said, we brought one, sometimes two kegs, depending on how much kombucha I had available. And we charged the same amount as uh, a pour, a 12 ounce pour, as a bottle. And in one corny keg we were able to get roughly 45 to 48 12 ounce pours having tap really allowed us to if we ran out of bottles to just still have this option and it was also nice because many people in warm weather just wanted something to drink right then and there and this helped our margins and our time because I wasn't opening a bottle of kombucha for them to open and walk around with and dispose immediately but they had a cup and which it wasn't the end of the world if they just got the bottle it was free advertising for me and I always mention that if they do a lap at the market and they find their way back with an empty bottle I would take it back and that worked great and it also gave them another contact point with us so perhaps thinking about if you want to and you can reuse what your kombucha is into that would be really awesome as well but that's kind of how our tap system worked And this year, we are able to bring more tap options to the market. We are still going to be bringing the same amount of bottles as I mentioned before, and we're still going to be using the same keg insulators and CO2 tanks. But my crafty husband, Sean, has been making a beautiful five tap keg system or tap system, not a keg system. Um, When I first heard the number five, I was like, nah, you crazy. But as I've mentioned before, we got to be thinking two steps ahead. And although I won't have five kegs ready, honestly, to bring come time the market, or even probably for a few more months, we have room to grow. And I think it'll look cool. And it'll give us a talking point if people ask us why we don't have five yet. But he is a very skilled woodworker who excels at all things, tools, measurements, everything. I'm certainly not, but I'm gracious that he is. And he is almost done with it. I cannot wait to show you the finished look. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so you have all your supplies. You're all set up and you are ready to sell. I dreamed so much of this moment. You all, when I was obtaining my licenses and setting up for the first time in my commercial kitchen space, I was like, if I can make it to a market... I can do anything. And you can never forget that special moment of your first market. 
I remember we got to our first market three hours early, just in case your girl's an Enneagram six. And I thought up of all the what ifs, but if another what if popped up, I'd have time to figure it out because I was getting there so early. I remember thinking of all the people we would meet and then becoming really nervous. Again, I'm a worrier. Will they like it? Are they going to like me? Am I going to make sense in what I'm saying? Are they going to think that we charge too much? Can I answer tough questions? And although I was worried, the day truly did go amazing. That's not to say that there wasn't any hiccups, especially when it came down to my spiel and how I talk to people, but I got better with time and I will encourage you that you will become more confident as time goes on. So I wanted to conclude this episode with some conversation starters that I use that have worked really well for me interacting with customers, as well as answers to particular questions that I feel like come up extremely often in a market setting. Of course, you'll find your own spiel and your own flow that will work best for you and your market, but I thought you'd find it interesting to know what I do or what I say. So for anyone new coming up to my table who already loves kombucha, which I love that. I love that it's just on the rise. People know what kombucha is more times than not, but they'll come up and while we're trying to figure out which sample would be best for them, I usually ask them, what are some brands that you normally gravitate towards? Because I have basically selected and picked my flavors as a spectrum of that kombucha tang, if you will. So for example, they say, oh, I love GT's ginger. I'm like, okay, you might go for my ginger. Or they say, you know, I like something a little bit, you know, um, more dialed back. I don't really like the acidity as much. I'm newer to kombucha. Um, I might go towards the opposite end of my spectrum where it's just a little bit more mild. Whereas people are like, oh my gosh, I make it at home and I love this stuff. I can't wait to try yours. I go for more of that signature kombucha tang. And that has really helped me select something for them to try. And then as I'm packing up an order, hopefully they enjoy the product. I ask them, are you local to this area? And I talk about our bottle returns. And if there is time or depending on reading their body language, I would ask them more personal questions about them, shake their hand, get to know their name, and just be real. (laughs) I I will share this with you because it really does help and it's nice. I will usually after an interaction where we talked a little bit more in depth and I get to know their name and things. I have a little note section on my phone where I will jot down their name, what time they came in, what they ordered last time, and what they look like. (laughs) Because they'll come back. I hate that feeling when they're like, hey, Lydia. And I'm like, dang it, what's your name? And I know that I'm not expected to know everybody's name, but it is really nice to feel recognized and feel seen. And we do have a lot of returning customers. And so to get to know them and their families, just that little trick at the beginning until that name sticks with me really helps. Now let's switch gears a little bit to manubis because we got a lot of people coming up saying, what's kombachi? What's kombuka? (laughs) Oh man. And I feel like there are three types of newbies that I have found. One, people who have tried it before, they say they don't like it. And I will usually respond with, until you've tried mine. That usually works, at least to get them to sample. Or I will say, oh, well, you haven't tried local kombucha. The second type of newbie is people in passing. They'll just be like, what's kombucha? But they're not really willing to stop by. And to them, I will say in passing really quick, it's a fizzy drink. It's super delicious. You should come back and try it. And sometimes that works. Other times they just walk on by. But at least I made a connection and I tell them very briefly. I'm not saying it's a fermented tea. It comes with a SCOBY. No, we don't need to say all that as they're passing by. They don't really care. But they might come back later. And then lastly, those super interested people that have gone by a couple times, made eye contact with you, but haven't come up until right now. They've done some research and they have some really deep questions and they're talking to you all about their personal health history. (laughs) 
And okay, I've had wonderful conversations and they just vary so much. And I want to focus on the third type of person really quick because these people do ask good questions and they want to know more about the product. And this is your chance to really get to shine a light on kombucha and what it is. But here is what I share in my little spiel. I'll often listen to them about what they already know about kombucha instead of just me talking at them. But usually I'll say, yeah, kombucha is a fermented tea. Uh, fermented foods are wonderful to add into anybody's diet. It does have, and I, I usually pull up one of my bottles and I flip it over and I say, you're going to see almost similar to like a yogurt, living cultures inside. And that's why I call myself living full kombucha because there is actually living bacteria inside of this drink. And often people will share that they drink it for wellness properties. And then just depending on how the conversation is going, do I have a line? I just, I take into a lot of factors, but I'll usually share how I feel drinking the kombucha. I don't say how they're going to feel because we can't make any help claims about kombucha and everybody is so different so I talk about my gut health and how it really helps or how I've talked to friends or other customers that have come up to me and saying that it really helps with xyz but I don't tell them how it's going to be this blah 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 for them if that makes sense but rather I talk about how kombucha is an adaptogen for their body that's meant to promote balance throughout their body and that usually leads into some really great questions. And these are probably one of, or a couple of my top questions that I normally get, but they will say, what is in it? And depending on if there's a lot of people around, they'll flip over the bottle. I have my ingredients listed very clearly and we can talk about it. But a lot of people don't know what a SCOBY is or a SCOBY represents. And instead of me saying, it's like a globular pellicle and blah, 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 blah. I try to make it something for them that they can understand very clearly. I'll say, have you ever had sourdough bread before? And oftentimes they at least know of sourdough bread. And I say, you know how there's a mother inside that you can carry to the next loaf and it restarts that next batch? Yeah, yeah. And usually I get people to understand that. I said, very similar to kombucha. I say it starts off as a sweet tea and then you introduce that mother. Remember how we talked about with the sourdough bread, right? You introduce that mother and it goes through about a two-week period and it turns that sweet tea into a tart fermented beverage that now has a lot of great properties to it. And if they want to know about the properties, I will talk about that with them. But I usually leave it at great properties because oftentimes people will know a couple coming up to the table or they can go home and research a few more things. If they want to talk about the acetic acids or, you know, the B vitamins and things we can. But again, it just kind of depends on the flow and what type of conversation you're having. Another question I normally get is, does it have sugar? I get so frustrated with this question and I have already dedicated an entire episode to why is there sugar in kombucha if you want to go back I believe that's episode number three that was a long time ago but yes there is sugar I say yes there is sugar in kombucha however we do not add sugars for any flavoring purposes sugar is required to start fermentation and a lot of it is eaten out throughout the process and I will let them make their own decision I'll often get is it keto and I'll say no it's not and again, I'm not a healthcare professional, and I will often state that too. If they ask me very personal health questions, I'll just put that right up front. But compared to all the other types of drinks and things that they are probably drinking, it has significantly less. And it has truer ingredients. You know, that all I have Diet Coke, but that doesn't have sugar in it. I'm like, have you read the other things? Oh, wait, you can't pronounce it. I'm getting a little sarcastic here, but I do get frustrated with the people that are kind of more of those number two people that are people in passing. Does that have sugar? Kombachi? What? And I'm just like, yeah. I just don't even want to try at this point because they hear the word sugar, they think it's the enemy and they run away as they're having an ice cream. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I, I'm not trying to judge them. I know, I know I'm coming off as a little bit more sarcastic than normal, but it is frustrating because I just want them to know the product and at least try it. And if sugar is preventing them from doing it, and I understand there's diabetes and things like that too. Again, I'm not a healthcare professional, but compared to a lot of other things in the market, kombucha and other fermented foods are a great option. I just want to be given a chance. Now, you will get those people that are not going to like it. And I'm really sorry that this will happen. It's going to happen. And people, especially people who do not have any fermented foods in their normal rotation in their diet, you know that when they try your kombucha, it's going to be a pretty jarring experience. I've come to expect this actually, especially as the Midwest hasn't really been exposed to kombucha as much as the rest of the country. I feel honored that their first experience is with our kombucha. And if they don't like it, I usually say two things. Sean and I laugh over this because I make it sound like a new revelation to me, but I will say this. I said, you know, isn't it true that you have to have something or try a new food like seven or like 10 times before it becomes part of your diet? And I'll look at Sean and be like, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that. (laughs) But okay, I probably say that statement probably 20 to 50 times per market. And then I'll say, I appreciate that you tried something new. And now you can say that you tried local kombucha. You know, hopefully you'll want to keep trying fermented things because it makes me feel great and it it gives them a nice oh okay yeah it's like a pleasant way to finish out a a jarring experience that they didn't really enjoy and then I dismiss them I think this is so important I'll say thank you for trying and enjoy the market you can usually tell if it's already a no by the way that their face is when they try your kombucha and so I give them an out of just saying hey thanks for stopping by really really appreciate it and it makes them feel a lot more comfortable because you don't want to have that awkward interaction of they tried it they didn't like it and they're like uh no thank you have a good day and it's just weird so I say hey enjoy the market I really appreciate you stopping by and trying and I'll take their trash and I'll kind of direct my attention away it's dismissing them and if they're still interested of course I'll still talk with them but it makes them feel a lot more comfortable and you'd be surprised at how many people do come back to try again or they'll even bring their family or their friends or even change their mind that's happened several times and that's been really encouraging but there are several people that are like heck to the no and they will leave I'm actually going to dedicate an entire episode coming up really soon on negative reactions I've gotten towards my kombucha, but it's okay because really it all comes down to the fact that you are sharing a beverage that means so much to you and that most of the time people are going to enjoy and that they're going to appreciate you as a person. They're going to appreciate your mission and they're going to appreciate a true product like kombucha, this living, awesome, powerful tea that you lovingly fostered. Well, I hope this episode was helpful to you or entertaining. (laughs) Honestly, I'm just still doing my dance because I'm so excited for this new season and I'm so excited for you. I just think about all the amazing people that we've met so far and all the amazing people that we have yet to meet. And I get excited thinking about that for you. If you're in this space and you're gearing up towards going to your first farmer's market, feel all those feels. I hope you feel prepared and just know that you are bringing your true self and your true living product to this market. And I'm so proud of you. I'm really proud of you. I wish I could be one of your customers. I would love to come try your kombucha, but in the meantime, send me a message. I'd love to hear what your process is like. If I missed anything on my list or any words of advice you have for me, I always welcome that. If you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be wonderful so we could continue to reach more brewers and entrepreneurs alike. But in the meantime, until next time's episode, be well and cheers. Cheers.